Is that better? Oh, hooray! Oh, thanks, Dan. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, my name's Anna. I'm uh, one of the wider leadership team here, and I'm married to Simon. As you probably worked out, he's not that rude to everybody, <laughs> just me. Um, we, uh, we do actually love each other, so don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> I'd just like to start by just thanking you all for your prayers for us as a family, with my health not being brilliant. Um, We really have felt the prayer of the church behind us, and um, we're still waiting for answers, but we know that God is in control. And it's also a really good thing to go through times when your body is broken and weak, because you realize how much you are dependent on the grace and love of Jesus, and how much your character is not where you thought it was when you can't hide it, because you're too tired. Um, And it all comes out. So I'm really grateful to God for all that he's doing in us through this, and for the opportunities that it has already given me, actually, with people to share with them about my faith, and um, share with them about how God is in control of my life. So we're really great for it, but do keep praying. I would like to be healed um, because it looks like nobody else seems to know what's going on. So it'd be really good if you could pray that I'm healed. Um, But thank you for all your prayers. This morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John 4. It should come up behind me, but let's read it together, just carrying on this series of love and light. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I'd also like to read John 1, 1 1-5. It's uh, not going to come up on the screen. But this is the gospel written by the same person who wrote 1 John, hence the name. But it says this, In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm just going to bring out three points this morning. The first one is believe the truth and reject the lies. The second one is we have overcome because Jesus is greater. And thirdly, we need to have boldness in sharing the truth. So the first one, believing the truth and rejecting the lies. Now, when I first thought I really liked Simon Fry, he um, was an interesting chap. He had thankfully gone through the not wearing deodorant stage of his conversion, which we were all grateful for. He'd gone from like really caring what people thought to not caring what people thought anymore. And he had decided that wearing deodorant was something which he just did to comply with the world. But graciously, the Lord quickly showed him that we're also commanded to love our brothers and that wearing no deodorant is a sure sign of hating them. So um, <laughs> he, started, he was wearing deodorant by that point. So we, I was you know, quite grateful for that. But I really, really liked him. I thought he was lovely. But he had this 
there was a big problem. He had this coat. It was purple and black and mustard ski jacket from 1992. And um, he just looked awful in it, like really awful. And I was really young when we started dating. And I just was like, I, can't, I just can't walk around with him looking like that. It's just so embarrassing. I mean, what you see now is four years of dating and nearly 18 years of marriage to get to this stage. So you can imagine what it was like. It was just awful. And I was praying. I was like, Lord, I really like him. He's got a great character, but I just can't walk around with that coat. I just can't do it. And, uh, and I just I need a new coat if, he's gonna, you know, if I'm actually going to date this chap. And he brought a state... He, so I didn't know I was thinking that, but he brought, prompted by the Holy Spirit, um, he brought a kappa coat. Do you remember Kappa? Yeah, yeah. And it really was a massive Kappa coat. And it was significantly better than um, the one before. And I saw that, saw that as a sure sign that we were supposed to date each other because I could actually bear to walk along the road with him. Well, why have I told you this story? It vaguely fits in, but also because it embarrasses Simon. But um, I told it because <laughs> we are called, John is saying here that we're called to be believers who are so in love with Jesus but who are not naive or gullible. You know, Jesus himself told us to be as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents. You know, you don't throw your brain away when you become a believer. We're called to be thinking Christians. John's advice here is to test, which is an active thing which involves our brain, what, to test what people say and do in God's name. You know, he specifically is talking about false prophets. That's those who bring false or untrue teaching. In John's time, it was likely to have been the Gnostics, which we've talked about before, who believed that, you know, you need the creation was evil and there was inside you this greater knowledge that you could have and then that would enable you to be saved if you could find this greater knowledge. So John was, uh, was teaching against these false prophets. And, you know, today in our society, there's many false prophets as well, people who would even claim to not be religious but have the way to a better life, which doesn't involve Jesus. There's those who claim to speak in God's name, but not every teaching is an utterance of the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And Jesus also in Mark 13, he warns people about that many will come saying, I am here, I've come back, Jesus, I've returned. But he's saying, don't be led astray. There's a brilliant quote that John Stott um, has, which says, every prophet is the mouthpiece or spokesperson of some spirit, and behind every spirit is either God or Satan. You know, and also in John's writing, we see that clarity as well, that there are two spiritual spheres, only two, one, the domain of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside the children of God, or the domain of the devil, Satan, the evil one, whatever you want to call him, whose evil spirits live in and or influence what people say and what people teach. So it's vitally important 
that as Christians, we are thinking Christians who test the spirit behind what we see and what we hear. The Apostle Paul also encourages the same thing to the believers. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. You know, we're called to discern and test the origins of displays of supernatural powers and signs and wonders. You know, miraculous powers are not proof in themselves of the truth or the spirit behind those who exercise them. The magicians in Egypt were able to imitate some of the miraculous deeds that God did through Moses. You can read about that in Exodus 7 and 8. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, we're warned that the Antichrist himself or herself will perform signs and wonders. John Stott says, and it's a brilliant quote, we should avoid both extremes. We should avoid superstition, which believes everything, and suspicion, which believes nothing. So what's John's guidance? How does he give us that guidance to be able to have that wisdom and discernment? Well, he has like two counter tests, if you like. So the first one is in verse 2. It says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So John is saying, ask yourself, does the person themselves and the content of what they're saying confess that Jesus came as the Christ, that Jesus is the Saviour, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, Christ incarnate. Well, if they are confessing that, then the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, who is God. In John 15, verse 26 to 27, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, we're told that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So we have that first thing, that do, do they confess that Jesus, fully God, fully man, is the Saviour? Then in verse 3, we're given like the counterbalance of that. John says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Do you remember Sam's preach on the Antichrist? This is what it says, Antichrist preaching against Christ and will set themselves up as being a saviour, a Christ that can rescue you but is anti the true Christ. Well, in this one, in verse 3, we're told, actually, if someone denies the humanity and or at the same time the divinity of Christ, then the Spirit is not from God. If they deny Jesus' divinity or humanity at any point during Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, then the Spirit or the message of what they're saying is not from God. So that's quite clear, isn't it? Really, John is saying, know who Jesus is and be absolutely secure in who Jesus is, and that will protect you from being led astray. Dodd says that there's no utterance, however inspired, which denies the reality of the incarnation can be accepted by Christians as true prophecy. 
You know, in John's case, false prophecy was leading people away from the church and away from the truth in Scripture. But in our setting, whilst it can also be an issue that people are led away from the church and led into cults and sects, it's also good to weigh what we hear. Sometimes people um, are just speaking from the flesh and not from the spirit. So how do you weigh what you hear people say in prophecy or what people bring you as, uh, in teaching or uh, tongue or wisdom or advice on your life? How else do we test what people say? Well, I've got a few little tips here to help. So firstly, is what they say in line with the word of God? The word of God is complete and inerrant. And that says that in Revelation and Galatians 1. You know, we're not looking for extra teaching messages, additional principles, additional writings that add on top of the Bible. In the Bible is everything that we need. So practically, what does that mean for us? That means that as believers, we need to know our Bible. We need to understand what is written in this book. Most of it is clear and easy to understand. Um, God speaks clearly to us. Some bits are difficult and you need to grapple with them and work out how you're going to apply them to your life. Also, we need to be a people who have the confidence in the truth to be able to ask people, you know you said that, where does it say that in the Bible? And if people are speaking the truth, they will be able to tell you or Google where they got that from in the Bible, if you're like me and your brain cells have gone, four children, apparently you lose a quarter of your brain with every baby, which means I'm on zero, which is really sad. I was like, that is why I cannot remember anything. It's a good thing. I'm so grateful for Google, what people did before, I don't know. Um, But we need to be willing to ask people, where did you get that from? And can I just say that if people quote one lone verse at you and can't give you any more, and you can't see it as a principle in Scripture, and then they suggest you build your whole life or a whole new teaching around it. I would question that. I would be a bit hesitant on that. But even more worryingly, if they can't back it up with Scripture at all, just scrap it. It's not worth it. Everything we need is here in the Word of God. Secondly, does it point people to worship God or does it cause people to commit idolatry? Who are they trying to honour when they speak? Thirdly, does it point people to Jesus, the Saviour, the only way to the Father and eternal life? Jesus, fully God, fully man, that we're saved by grace, not by works, and that we don't need to add to the works of Jesus. In Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, a great verse to learn if you're a new believer or if you're get sharing the gospel a lot with your friends, it's a great verse to learn. It says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're told we're saved by grace, through faith, not works, not of our own doing, but it's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. In Acts 4, we're told that there is salvation through nobody else but Jesus. The fourth thing to ask yourself is what is the fruit of both the message and of the person's life. You know, we listen to people when they love Jesus, and you can see that people love Jesus by the fruit in their life. Jesus was very clear, wasn't he? He said, by their fruits, you will know them. And that's a really important thing to ask. You know, the Marshall says, the full implication of Jesus is Lord 
is incompatible with many heresies. So look at somebody's life. Is Jesus the Lord of their life? Or actually, are they the Lord of their life? Or are demonic powers the Lord of their life? Just look at their life as well. So it's very important that we test the spirit behind what people are saying and weigh what we hear. Now, it all sounds quite frightening, doesn't it? And you can imagine the early church would have been quite afraid of what was going to happen because people were already leaving the church and following false teachings and they would have been worried. You know, how how do I stand in all of that when it's so difficult being a believer then anyway? But he encourages them in verse four. There's this wonderful verse which says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know, we don't need to fear false teaching and prophets. We don't need to fear it. And we don't need to fear the world because we are overcomers, because Jesus is greater than the evil one. Jesus has already won. Jesus is the king seated on the throne. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he alone has all authority. He is ruling and reigning and has absolute and assured victory. He's victorious forever and ever, and nobody, nothing, no false teaching, no mass religion, no person can ever or will ever change that truth. Nothing will separate us from the love and victory of Jesus on the cross. Let's um, read Romans 8 together. If you've got a Bible, um, open it up at Romans 8. You can have it on your phone as well if you'd like. If you're very modern, I'm not. I've got it in a book. Yes. Um, so uh, Romans 8, 31. We read this together. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is the truth that we build our lives on. You know, in this verse, it's that in, when John is writing, he says, we have overcome. Not we are overcoming. We have overcome because Jesus is greater. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, if you are a believer, who is God, he is victorious. So you have overcome. You know, it may feel in our society that the true voice of Christianity, the true voice of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, died on the cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, ruling and reigning the Lord of our life, is becoming more marginalized. You might feel like you're the only one in your workplace, your school, your friendship group that is speaking and living the truth. But do not fear 
Because he who is in you, God himself, is greater than he who is in the world. The light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will never overcome it. This truth can give us such confidence and security. The verse assures us that we are more than conquerors. We stand in the victory of Christ. Do you feel like you stand in the victory of Christ in your daily life? Have you worked living life as an overcomer, or do you live life as a person who fears the darkness? It's a really good question to ask yourself, because this verse tells us that you have overcome you know, when I was at school, um, uh, I was talking to Eloise Rear as well, and she had the same experience. I was the uh, only person in my class at that time. Uh, actually, lots of my friends got saved, which is another story that I'll put in another preach. Um, which, but um, I was the only Christian, and I had to do a debate for um, my English GCSE. I went to an all-girls grammar who were complete feminists, um, which, that's another story as well. We'll have that in another one. But, um, so I was quite a feminist when Simon first met me. But um, we went to, uh, I went to this school, and they would actively encourage abortion in the school. If you got pregnant, they would help you get an abortion. And I decided that for my debate, I would do a pro-life debate. Eloise did the same for her GCSEs. I was the only person in my class who believed in life being precious actually, in the womb, and that God is the person who decides when we live and when we die. And I was in this debate, I was the only one there, um, and my teacher came up to me afterwards, who was like a staunch feminist, and she came up to me after, she said, I want to give you an E, but I can't, I'm going to have to give you an A star because I can't mark you down on it. And I just knew that Jesus was for me, you know, even though I was the only one in that class, and even though my teacher absolutely hated what I said and just couldn't bear it, actually, she couldn't mark me down on it because I knew as I went into that room that Jesus is victorious. Even though I was only 15, I knew that Jesus is victorious and that his ways are the best ways to live. You know, me and Simon, we dated for four years before we got married. We didn't sleep with each other until we were married. Um, and my friends just couldn't get their heads around it. They were just like, what is wrong with you? Christians are so weird. I mean, you're so odd. It's just so strange. He could be really weird. You don't know. You haven't slept with him. How are you going to know? And I remember on my wedding day, they were there at my wedding, and they came up to me, and they were all crying. And I was like, why are you crying? It's a really nice day. They said, we just can't believe that somebody would love you enough to wait until a wedding day to sleep with you. We don't even know what that was like because the blokes that they were with wanted their sex quickly and then they hopped out of the relationship. But I had the joy of knowing that somebody loved me enough to give me their life before I gave them my virginity. And it was something really special and such a witness to our friends. When I worked in A&E, the, there was one other believer and we were the only people there who only slept with our spouses. Everybody else slept with everybody else. They thought we were bonkers. We went into the, when I went into A&E, I was young and I was much more attractive when I was younger and I would constantly get, there was no me too then either. There was absolutely no me too. There was like, you learn to stand your ground. And I, I, I just, I would go into that department, I would be the only believer, unless my lovely friend was working, and then I'd just hide behind him, but um, it, I would be with, it was just so hard, but every time you went into that situation, I knew that Jesus is victorious, his ways 
are the right ways. You don't need to fear the world because Jesus has overcome and he is victorious. You know, while I was preparing this preach, I felt that great challenge for our children. You know, the, the world that I grew up in is, was difficult enough, but the world that our children are growing up in is more and more dark. And people do not want to hear about living the right way. And our children are facing it all the time. Every time we discuss with them, every sex ed lesson that they go into, it's so difficult. They are the ones who are facing the brunt of a society that has walked away from Jesus. And the great challenge to us as parents and as a church is to not raise scaredy cats, but to raise warriors. You know, it's really hard to be a Christian at school. And yes, they might be the only one. And hopefully, if they're living the right way, then their life will be totally different from their peers. But if they love Jesus, they enter into every situation as a conqueror. They are victorious, even if it doesn't seem like it here on the earth. So let's raise children that don't fear. Don't say to them, yes, it is really frightening, hide your faith. Say, no, come on, you are victorious. And do you know the way that we do that? It's to model it ourselves as parents, to be those parents who are courageous and fearless, who our children see that we will engage in conversation where we know people might not agree with us, but we are kind and gracious, but we always speak the truth. We always defend Jesus. We don't let people say things that write off our king. We are defending him in every way that we live our life, and that's the greatest way we can help our children to have that strength is to model it ourselves. You know, the, we need to remind our souls that Jesus has eternal victory. We need to remind ourselves that you have overcome, and we will be seated with Christ for all eternity. Remind yourself that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. You don't serve a weak king, but a victorious warrior who has defeated darkness. He defeated darkness with his death and resurrection. When Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. You don't question it, it's finished. Actually, the light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you are sick, if you are grieving, if you have unexpected loss, if you are suffering, if life has turned out so unlike how you expected it to be or you'd hoped that it would be like, don't believe the lie that you're a loser. Don't believe the lie that you're being punished. Don't believe the lie that Jesus isn't for you and that maybe if you were a better Christian, it wouldn't happen. Don't believe those things. They are lies. The Bible promises us that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you truly believe and live as Jesus being the Lord of your life, then you have been taken from, from death into life. You've been taken from darkness to light. You've been taken from a kingdom that is eternally condemned to a kingdom that is eternally victorious. So let's live like that is actually true in our everyday life as we walk into different situations. Let's live as people who are victors, not as people who have their head down and believe that essentially we should just hide. Actually, do not fear because the light has overcome the darkness. In verses 5 to 6, John then goes on to say, They are from the world. 
that's talking about the false prophets, therefore they speak from the world. And do you remember what Sam said about the world being people who don't believe in, in Jesus? And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You know, John is warning the church to not be surprised that people don't listen and that they listen to what seems like crazy talk, doesn't it? Some of the things that people listen to, you think, why on earth would you think that there's wisdom in that? That's totally bonkers and it's not going to work. But you just see it all the time. But John is just warning the church and warning us that actually that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. But others who love Jesus, who are seeking God, who are looking to please God with their life, they will listen to what we say. Jesus himself said in John 8, 47, those who love God will listen to his words. You know, don't be mistaken by this passage. It's not encouraging us to be silent and not speak out and to stay away from the world because they won't listen anyway. But it's encouraging us to not be discouraged or surprised that the world will not listen. As we speak and live out our lives in the light of Jesus' victory, we will be different. We will make moral choices that please Jesus and don't please the people around us. We will parent our children completely differently, applying spiritual principles, not worldly ones. Um, can I just like, really gently say, um, the, the world's view on children is that if you leave them to it, they will make the right choice. The Bible view is we're all born in sin, and so if you leave your children to it, they will not make the right choice. They will choose to sin. That is actually a biblical view. It's not just my personal parenting view. I wouldn't dare advise on parenting. My children are, yeah, we're not there yet. We're still, <laughs> still learning every day. It's like, really, seriously, how, how can this just be so hard? But um, it is a actually biblical view that our children need us to point them to Jesus. They need Jesus. And in your parenting, the aim of our parenting is to point our children to the fact that they need Jesus. You know, I can change my children's behavior. It takes so much work, but I can change their behavior out, out of fear, generally. I'd love to say it's because they just love me so much. They're like, mommy, I love you. I just want to do what you say. That's not true. It's out of fear. And, um, but the only person who can change their heart is Jesus. He is the only person who can change their heart. He's the only person who can produce that wonderful fruit in your children's life of salvation. You can't do it. You'll fail so badly if you try. But actually, Jesus can change their heart. So in all of our parenting, you just have to push them to Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You, you can't stop lying because you need Jesus. You're trying to stop lying, but you can't do it because you need Jesus. Actually, you want to hit your brother because you don't love him. The reason you don't love him is because you need Jesus to help you learn how to love. It's really hard work because you'd much rather just go in the room and do whatever you do in, in your form of punishing a child. I won't say what we do. And... Um, and <laughs> you just want to go in and deal with it, go back and have your cup of tea. Because to be honest, it's like the 18th time of the day you've dealt with your child doing the same thing again and again. And just with a look of utter like... <laughs> um, but actually, it's the effort of saying, no, 
We are going to discipline and love our children as the Bible tells us to, not how the world tells us to, how the Bible tells us to. It's a real challenge, but that's one area where we really need to be living our life by biblical principles, not worldly principles. Anyway, that's my parenting rant over and done with. Um, But we mustn't be surprised that people think we're a bit bonkers, you know, um, in the way that you live your life. Uh, so my brother and his wife are moving here. My, my brother's a doctor, and he, he was a GP, and he's giving up being a GP to become a palliative care doctor. He's retraining to become a consultant. It will take two years. His friends, who are all very wealthy and have lovely houses, and where they live currently is a beautiful village in the South Downs. It's absolutely idyllic. You get on your bike, and you're on a beautiful down cycling your bike. There's no poor people anywhere near them because that's, you know, just not nice. So they have, like, they live in this idyllic place, and their friends just can't get it that they've heard God tell them to move to Houston. They just don't get it. And they're like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Why would you move your kids? You're bonkers. Why are you doing this with your career? Be a GP partner. I know it breaks you, but be a GP partner. Do it. You're going to be so rich. It's great. That's what we're aiming for in our life. Come on, if you do that, you can have a bigger house. You can have a better car. And... They, they think they're mad. And when, they, when he goes to work in his job in Eastbourne for two days a week, he was telling me, he says to them, we're, um, we're moving here, actually. And they say, really? How lovely, because he's talking to consultants. And um, where are you moving? And he says, I'm moving to Halsham. They go, oh, do you know Punnettstown is lovely? <laughs> Rush Lake Green, marvellous. Halsham, right, Halsham. Are you sure? And he says, yes, I'm moving to Halsham. We're moving to be part of the church in Halsham. And, uh, and it's just... The way we live is so different. It is so different. So don't be surprised when people think that what you're doing is crazy. It's okay. Because actually the way the world thinks and the way that we think is completely different. But we need to keep speaking the truth. We need to share the gospel in season and out of season. We need to be fearless and bold in bringing the gospel of truth wherever you go. How many people know you are a Christian? Honestly, how many people know you are a Christian? And they know what that means. They don't just think you're religious and you go to church. How many people that you see every day in the week know that you are a Christian? Because actually, the challenge here is it should be almost everybody that we meet because we should live so differently. We should be so different. We should be eager to share the good news with people of what he has done in our life. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To another, a fragrance from life to life. We need to share the good news. There are people who are looking to please God with their life and have no idea how to do that. They are going to listen to you. This passage encourages us. They're going to listen because they want to love Jesus. They've just got no idea how to do it. And you are the light in their life that is going to break into the darkness. And the light is going to overcome the darkness. That's the promise of Scripture to us. In 2 Timothy 1, we're told... God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and of self-control. The first time I learned that verse off by heart was when I heard HIV AIDS orphans singing a song to it. In Africa, they were jumping about singing this song. They will all be dead now, barring miracles. But they sang it and they knew it. The Spirit of God doesn't give us fear, but power, love, self-control. Every situation we go into, we do not have a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of power, love, and self-control. You know, we have the power. We can overcome. We are victorious, not because we're brilliant and we get it right all the time, because we don't. You might, I definitely don't. We aren't that. It's because of what Jesus has done. He is greater than the darkness. He has won in your life. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. You know, God's glorious kingdom will always continue to grow and flourish. You know, it will. And our job in it is to not run away afraid of the fact that the world doesn't listen to us and it doesn't understand, but it is to keep sharing the gospel of truth and light and love with people. You know, that verse in Timothy, it talks about self-control. Sometimes the best way to break into someone's life is to have self-control, is to not yell back at them when they yell at you, is to not get really leery with that person who's got really cross with you because they're drunk and walking in the road and you're reversing. I mean, I am bad at it, but you know. Um, he was very drunk. Uh, the best way is to not, is to um, have self-control when you just want to get out of the car and say, what is wrong with you? You are drunk and walking in the middle of my road. I can't reverse and now I nearly hit you and then you hit my car. What's wrong with you? That's not the right way. We have to have self-control, which is why we need the Spirit of God, because you have to remind yourself, I'm a representative of the light. And be kind to people. Self-control involves when you're having a debate with someone, be prepared to lose the debate, but come across as the gracious, kind person. Be full of light and full of truth, but also season it with a little bit of salt. Don't give up on it. Be someone who's willing to be the only one who will speak the truth in a situation. You know, I've just felt this real challenge this week, you know, of that the light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you believe it in your life? When people see you, do they see you as a person that whatever is happening in your life, whether life is going the way it should be or going the way it shouldn't be, actually, do you know that the light has overcome the darkness? Can people see it in the way that you talk about Jesus and you talk about your light? Or do you sink into a darkness yourself? That's the great challenge, isn't it, to us as believers? Can um, the band come up? Is that right? I just, as I was praying this morning, I just really felt um, that there was a few people who God really wanted to meet with this morning. And I felt a challenge for us as a church as well to be a church of thinking believers, you know, that we think about what we hear, that we weigh things, that we test the spirit behind things. We don't just believe everything that we see, but we have that wonderful balance of being full of faith, loving the work of the Holy Spirit, but always testing and asking questions and making sure that everything we do is in line with Scripture. But um, that also there is this great challenge on us to be people who keep speaking the truth, who are not afraid of speaking the truth, even though people don't listen, 
that we still speak the truth. Whatever is happening, we speak the truth. We don't back down because it's too difficult in society to be the ones that are different, but that we speak the truth all of the time. So do you want to stand? I'd like to, um, during the next song, I felt that there was a few groups of people I'd really like uh, to, to pray for. Uh, I felt there's some people here who you feel in your life the darkness has overcome you and that you've forgotten that you have overcome the darkness because Jesus is greater, that you're just sinking into this darkness and you don't know why you're sinking into it, but you can't get out of it. Actually, God wants to set you free from that this morning. I also felt there's people who really fear the world and you fear darkness, like you really fear that it's going to take over your life and that you're just going to get like almost I've sort of had this picture of people almost like running away and there's dogs like running after them they're petrified actually no we don't need to fear the darkness Jesus has overcome and the other group I really wanted to pray for is I believe there's somebody here you want to read your bible and understand it but actually you really struggle academically like it's, it's not your strength in life it's not academic I really feel that God wants to give you a supernatural ability to read and understand the word of God and that actually I know many people that has happened for that they really struggle with reading, but God has given them an ability to read the word of God and understand it like no other book they've ever read before. And I'd love to pray with you if that's you. Um, but shall I just pray for us and then we'll worship together. If you want to put your hands out in front of you, if you're comfortable with that, and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for that wonderful truth, Lord Jesus, that the light has shined in the darkness and that the darkness has not and will never overcome it. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here. Give us boldness in sharing the truth. Give us boldness to keep speaking even though the world doesn't listen, but to look for those people who are seeking you. Lord Jesus, help us to be people who bring light into the darkness, who don't fear the darkness, but know that you have overcome because you are greater. You are the greatest, Lord. We just look at you and know that we have the victory because you are such a wonderful saviour. You are such a perfect king. And it is such an honour to serve you with our lives. It is such an honour. Lord, I pray when people look at our lives, they would see people who are so in love with you. Lord, would they see believers who are thinking believers, who don't believe whatever we're told, but weigh everything, test where it's come from. Lord Jesus, would people be surprised as they hear us talk, hear us discuss things, and just see how much we love the scriptures and can explain the Bible to people. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord Jesus, make us those people that just bring many, many people into the kingdom of light. Lord Jesus, that we would rescue people out of the tyranny and, the, and just the horribleness of darkness and bring them into your glorious light. We just praise you, Lord Jesus, that you have saved us, that you have set us free. Lord God, I just pray, would you make us a people of boldness? Help us to not fear, but to be people who speak the truth in season and out. Lord, would we show that we love you by the way that we live? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.